And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of the Cast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Canucks and NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Grancer, it's been a long summer for obvious reasons for the hockey team, uh, for those of us uh, in this business that cover the Vancouver Canucks. And here we are on the eve of the 2019-2020 season. I wasn't sure that this podcast was actually going to happen, but uh, I'm so delighted that we can finally let the cat out of the bag. I guess the cat was out on Twitter earlier, but here we are as we sit in the lower bowl at Rogers Arena ahead of the Canucks season opener in Edmonton on Wednesday night. And this, my friend, is a thing. Welcome, everybody, to the Nux cast with Drancer and JPAT, or JPAT and Drancer. I'm seeing it different ways, different places, and that's completely fine. We don't get lost in the details. I think it's important to focus on the bigger picture, something this market seems to hate to do as we launch the Tim Schaller Wars on the eve of the Sven Berchi brush fire fight. Um, and going into the season, I just can't wait to analyze meaningful games, be on the road, cover this team with you, and, and have, an, have a venue for us to talk about it um, for the fans and, and document our travel experiences. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait to get started, man. But, but really, though, before we move on, you got to do it. You got to give us your audio letter why I'm joining The Athletic. Well, the power of the podcast is important to me. And as I sat through the summer months, honestly, I didn't know uh, where 
the podcast was going to sit. I mean, the podcast is a thing of the past. It is. We're going to put it on a shelf. We are going to honor it. You know, it will be revered, but this isn't the podcast. This is going to be you and me finding our own way in the big, bad podcasting world, and I'm really excited about it and looking forward to it, and uh, we'll have some fun with it, but we're also moving on. Now, I think it's so important to note that, you know, as we kind of went through the summer months, and and honestly, I, got, I had lots of people, so many people, and I thank everybody that reached out and said, you got to keep going, Botch would want that, and I just wasn't sure, right? Like, it's like any relationship. You know, you come out of a relationship and then you're just not sure what's next. And I wasn't certain what was next when it came to podcasting. So I took my time when I learned that you were being brought in as the lead dog here for the Athletic in Vancouver. You know, then the wheels started churning because a lot of people had said, like, just do a podcast with Drancer or do one with Murph or Shorty. And like, I heard those people, but it's just not that simple. Like, there are some politics at play, uh, company lines that you know, had to be crossed. And quite frankly, I, I have to thank TSN and TSN 1040 and Trevor Martins uh, because, again, like I work for TSN. All of my work has been under the TSN umbrella. And so uh, I know that the market wanted this to happen. And so it couldn't have happened without uh, some others stepping up and stepping in and green lighting it. And so here we are uh, with our own podcast, Nuxcast with Drancer and J-Pad, or J-Pad and Drancer. We'll figure it out as we go, but uh, look, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's two guys that cover this hockey club on a regular basis, on the beat. Uh, we'll pull back that curtain. We'll still have the great stories that uh, we've done in the past about life on the road and travel and, you know, everything that goes on. And, and the bottom line is, it's a game. And, and, you know, I think what made the podcast so popular was... You know, it was two guys that covered this team, had informed opinions, brought some insight. We were able to bring people behind that curtain, but we did it in the spirit in which it was intended, and that was to have some fun with it. I mean, these have been four dark years for the Vancouver Canucks. There hasn't been a ton of fun out there on the ice, but they think they've turned a page. You know, Elias Pettersson's first season was incredible. He provided us so many moments, and he's going to provide so many more. And Quinn Hughes now, a first full look in the National Hockey League at a defenseman that this team has really never had in its 50 years of existence. You know, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, that core four, that's the excitement. And where it goes from here, we're going to document it uh, twice weekly. Not once, but twice. That was part of the announcement as well. So one outside the paywall that will be free to anybody. And if you needed any more reasons to be a VIP, I mean, this is just another layer of added value that the second podcast later in the week each week is going to be behind the paywall. And, you know, we'll branch out. We'll do some different things. Uh, again, this isn't the podcast. So what we did in the past worked, but we're going to experiment. We're going to try some different things. And so when this offer was presented to me, I thought, absolutely, I want to get back in the podcasting game. And here we are, and I'm excited to do it with you. And, you know, I, I think some people, look, you were a frequent name drop on the last <laughs> podcast but you and i have a pretty deep association that goes back a lot of years in fact we fought a pretty good fight before fights were even being fought on that frontier as far as trying to get some access for the blogosphere inside that canuck locker room wow that's a that's a deep cut and you're right we back in the day i approached you about writing for canucks army this must have been 2012 six seven years ago and i said hey why don't you come report from the rink I think your writing's great, and we'd love to give you a venue to do it. How about you write 10 articles a month for us? 
And we came to an agreement and we announced it. And the very next day, I think you got called into the principal's office and uh, they explained to you that probably not what they wanted you to be doing with the credential that you had under the TSN 1040 banner. And, or at the time, it would have been the Team 1040 banner. My goodness. And so, J-Pat, because you're a stand-up gentleman, something I've always admired about you, you delivered 10 articles in about eight days just to make sure you honored the spirit of the agreement and then informed us what had happened and uh, and told us we had to go our separate ways. And we were disappointed, but of course we understood. And, you know, we just kept working. I mean, I think the sort of story of Canucks Army and the story of Blogger Access is that there were bad days and there were bumps in the road and there were skeptics and there were, you know, it was a long drawn out and it wasn't a fight really because you know while our coverage was critical at the time our relationship with the team was not necessarily we just didn't have access and we didn't tend to ask for it and we sort of frittered around the edges we made sure to cover the stories that were breaking out of Europe and the AHL teams and the major junior teams when I was based out in Ontario and it was a lot of fun but ultimately once I sort of came back here and had Sportsnet at my back, but was still <laughs> operating with Canucks Army, had a leg to stand on. And, and that's why it was so awesome to see guys like Chris Faber and, and Comets Corey uh, covering the Canucks with a Canucks Army credential at training camp in Victoria. That was, <clears throat> you know, I, I really can't understand how much that meant to me. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. But you know what? That's, it's hilarious that you bring that up. You're right. We have been actually colleagues before. This might be our second time around and uh, and friends, of course, as well. I think really it's the third go round for us because there was Canucks Army 2.0 when I was laid off in 2015. And you were one of the first guys to reach out to me and said, look, like you've accomplished this much in the market. You, you got to keep that voice out there. The province also reached out and, you know, it was overwhelming to me that while one opportunity closed, there were some other chances. And so I got back in the Canucks Army game. And, and by this point, you know, things had changed in that world. And so I was able to get inside the locker room and still come to some games. And you and I will always have Bird Street as well. <laughs> because not only did I get to cover the Vancouver Canucks, but you made it happen. And this is one of the things that I've admired about you, as you're a guy that makes things happen. I got to go to Buffalo to cover that NHL draft in 2016 when, you know, I wasn't sure what my future held as far as this industry was concerned. And, you know, I was looking around at options and did I really want to sort of grind it out? And I got back into that world in Buffalo at the draft in amongst all my colleagues and friends that I had met from around the league and like it just drove home that point that yeah absolutely like I'm not done with this not by a long shot and so uh, here I am uh, here you are and this is gonna be great I think we're gonna have a ton of fun with this and uh, you know again we'll just uh, we'll take our cues from the hockey club the, the podcast will basically focus on what happens uh, with this team day in day out over the course of an 82 game season but there is so much more that goes into the job and covering the job and I'm so glad that you mentioned training camp because on episode number one here I have to share this with the people because I had a bone to pick with you as we sort of reestablished our connection. We're sitting there at training camp in Victoria and we're just about to get access to the players. And Drancer turns to me and he says, hey, do you have some gum? And I said, yeah, I got gum. I carry gum. You know, you want to have that fresh breath when you're, you're talking to the players. And uh, so I said, yeah, I got some gum. And I was expecting to, you know, reach into the little side pouch in my briefcase and I'll pack and give you a stick of gum. No. Your ask 
was three sticks right <laughs> off the bat. Like we hadn't even been at training camp for a day and you come in with a demand of three sticks of gum. Who does that? <laughs> One, I understand, it gets you through the interviews. Two, I could sort of make a case for you, but a third stick, right? Like what were you gonna do with all three sticks of gum? See, the thing is, is I'd forgotten my gum for the days and training camp days can last six, seven hours. Every, every time before I talk to a player, I like to have a stick of gum. I'm often asked, what did you learn from the other side when you were working for a team? And I think the number one thing I took away from the experience, to be totally honest, was the number one complaint I received from players about media members was halitosis and bad breath. It, it was a constant complaint. You know, do I really have to talk to that guy? His breath's awful. <laughs> Does he have a problem? And so one thing I've sort of taken from it is the importance of not being that guy when, uh, when you're covering players and covering professional athletes and covering anybody, really. So that day I'd forgotten my gum. I showed up and I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask for gum, not for w this next availability and have to go back to Jeff again and become the gum mooch. I figured I'd make my ask for the day and then I could control my own allotment, proportion it accordingly, and pay you back. And in fairness, I paid you back. You did. So let the record show that you were quick to settle your, your debt on the gum front. And I think the gauntlet is now down because I understand, it's my understanding, that you went on the radio and predicted that Tim Schaller is going to score 10 goals for the Vancouver Canucks this season. This is a guy who couldn't get into the lineup most of last year. This is a guy that scored three goals all of last season. Two of them came in the same game, and all three were against the Dallas Stars. So yeah, he plays for the Canucks. You take the Stars out of the mix. Seattle's not on the ice yet. That leaves 29 other opponents that Tim Schaller hasn't scored a goal against as a member of the Vancouver Canucks. But he made the hockey club. He's on this 23-man roster. It looks like he'll be in the opening night lineup. And you've got him down for double digits, which is a remarkably bold prediction, which is one thing my former podcast partner certainly enjoyed, was a good, solid prediction and one that, uh, you know, had some conviction to it. So I'm saying we're putting a pack of gum on the line right here. This is the chewing gum bet before the season. Ten goals, Tim Schaller. If he gets there, I'm paying up. If he doesn't, you're offering up a pack of gum for me. It seems like a fair deal. And, you know, my favorite reply to the TSN 1040 hit in which I uh, began the Tim Schaller wars was the reply from one fan who said, oh boy, this prediction is worse than Jeff Patterson's predicting Marcus Granlund would score 24. So, I mean, we all make predictions. I have a decent history of calling out when, when bottom end of the roster guys might have a bounce back year. I, I, I'll stake my record against anyone. Obviously, we all remember the Anna Hansen bouts. I had some ones that were wrong. Mason Raymond and, and David Booth would come to mind, but uh, Yannick Hansen was, of course, my crowning achievement in my last go-around with Vancouver Media. I'm not predicting anything similar. I'm not predicting a 25-plus goal season for Tim Schaller here, but can he be, based on his track record as a capable defensive piece, a guy who scored 10 goals before in his career, can he be the sort of bottom end of the roster piece who helps a fourth line not get outscored by too large a margin? Can he score 10 goals? Can he play good D? I think there's no question about it. Tim Schaller, chewing gum lock of the year, 10-plus goals this season. All right. I'm a... <laughs> I'm a winto green kind of guy. Just uh, <laughs> let the record show as I put my order in now. This is a guy that told me last year, three games into the season in Carolina, 
I just couldn't get my motor running. Couldn't get my motor running. You, the Canucks doubled your salary from the year before. You come to a new team. You've got a new coach, new bosses, and you couldn't get your motor running. Like that was just—it was shocking in the moment that he said it. It stuck with me. Uh, he does say that uh, he's taken that all to heart and that he's had a much better off season. And I don't know if he looked a whole lot different here in exhibition action. But look, exhibition action is over. It's done. We throw all of that out the window. They start playing for keeps against the Edmonton Oilers, and I cannot believe we did this to the people on our first Nux cast that essentially Tim Schaller was our first battleground, our first point of contention. Uh, let's get to the news of the day though, or at least the news of uh, the last 24 hours as we record here uh, ahead of a Canuck practice, and that was the waving of Sven Berchi, and there was the expected outcry here in the market, and sure enough, he cleared, so he remains Canuck property, but it was a, I mean, it was a bold decision. It was an interesting one, in as much as Berchi won't start the season here, but your boy Schaller and Louis Erickson and Tyler Mott and Jake Furtanen, they all will. And Adam Gaudet, I suppose, factors in there because he forced his way onto this hockey club. But uh, what did you make of the decision to put Sven Berchi on waivers? I think it makes some sense when you look at some of the thirty thousand foot view that the team has to take regarding some distressed assets. Let's say in Louis Erickson especially, but also in Jake Vertanen. And I think while Berchi had, in my view, a pretty decent preseason, he looked good sort of executing the neutral zone forecheck. He looked good that one game with Adam Gaudet. Um, you know, I think he played well, and, and I think his career scoring rates would indicate that he is a boon. He is someone who can bring a lot to the middle six forward group, especially when he's healthy. He scores at a rate that's higher than most of the players on this team, and, and certainly all of the players in the bottom six. So, yeah, it was a surprising decision. I think it makes sense when you look at a, a number of factors. One is the club's absolute need to get something out of Louis Erickson. I mean, Erickson's a true millstone. They are stuck with him straight up and if you're going to be stuck with a player who's going to earn that type of money and take up that type of cap space over the next three years you've got to find a way to make to get something of hockey value to, to squeeze some lemonade out of that stone and I think the best way to do it is probably on a camouflage line with Brandon Sutter and one of the most confusing things to me I think about the Sven Berchi wave and what's happened to the bottom six is the look of that third line I mean I see sort of three right-handed shooters who uh, tend to have a little bit of tunnel vision, maybe aren't known for their passing or their, or their team orientation. I don't see a playmaker on that line. I don't see a play driver on that line. I think that line's going to have a lot of trouble gelling. Uh, at least that's my view. Now, now, of course, we could be surprised, and, and maybe if they have a good game against the Edmonton Oilers, we shouldn't exactly uh, admit defeat. Uh, I would say that you know, as the season goes along, as they get against Calgary, if that line sticks together for any extended period of time, I'm pretty confident that sort of the individual, in the individual nature of those players, the freelancing that they all tend to, you know, do, and, and some of them excel at, uh, especially Josh Levo, uh, I suspect that'll come to bite them and, and potentially the team. It does feel like there's a little bit of... Uh organizational, I don't know if it's discontent, but you know, we always talk about alignment from top to bottom and being on the same page. And through the summer month, Jim Benning repeatedly talked about this need to have three scoring lines and sort of you know modernize the way the game is played. And yet with the move yesterday and the deployment that we saw at practice and look over the years Travis Green has practiced the way that he lines his guys up to play. So I think as much as he says don't read into things, you can take your cues from the way that he has his guys uh, set up in practice. 
it does look like a very clear distinction between a top six that should be better. I don't think there's much doubt that the top six with the offseason additions, with another year of Elias Pettersson and a healthy Brock Besser and, you know, Bo Horvat just giving you what Bo Horvat gives you. I mean, the potential is there for the top six to be markedly better than last year, but it really just looks and feels, though, like a top six and bottom six. Yeah, and, you know, I do think that that's one of the big questions here is in the past, you know, Travis Green has sort of deployed his clubs in this sort of traditional manner, this more traditional manner, this outdated manner is what maybe some of his critics would say. And when you consider that, you know, now he has a few more tools at his disposal, uh, are we seeing sort of more of a genuine approach? Not, a, not one born out of necessity, but one, one born out of philosophy. And if that's the fact, then I think it does beg perhaps the larger question of, you know, are Travis's views of how to deploy uh, his hockey team too conservative for the modern NHL? I'm a guy who personally thinks that you can't find a year in pro hockey where one of Travis Green's teams haven't outperformed the talent level on their roster. I'd cut him some slack at least to begin the season. But I do think that that's a question that these sort of lineup decisions beg, and a fair one. Canucks got a dose of good news uh, with Brock Besser being cleared. I mean, an ugly-looking hit there the other night. In Abbotsford, Chris Tierney, you know, he's not that kind of player, but, man, he was that player at that moment, and you just hate to see anybody go headfirst into the boards and, you know, Fantenberg as well. But, I mean, there was more concern based on what Brock Besser means to the organization and some of his past injury history. To see him back at practice, looks like he's good to go, and so the Canucks should have their full complement of players on opening night. Like, injuries are going to happen. We know that. That'll be a story that we follow as the season goes along, and they talk about depth, and I suppose having a guy like Berchi or Nikolai Goldobin down in the minors, you know, maybe that does speak to better depth than they have had uh, in some years gone by. But, you know, Besser, I think, is one of the guys that a full season alongside Elias Pettersson, they showed last year some undeniable chemistry. He's healthy. He's excited. He's got the contract out of the way. You know, I, I think that the potential is there for Brock Besser to have a big season. And we know that with a three-year deal, he sort of bet on himself. And, you know, this is the first year of that betting. You know, what excites you about this hockey club? You know, every team starts in the starting gate nobody has lost a hockey game yet so here we are as this season unfolds in front of you what excites you about the vancouver canucks what excites me the most about the vancouver canucks and i think this is shared by the fans is obviously the core four players and and specifically the three younger guys because we've seen what bo horvat can do i think we have a good handle on what he can contribute offensively and he took a step defensively last season and i suspect he'll maintain those gains especially with a winger like jt miller uh, who's of a caliber of player a caliber of player unlike any that he played with last season as we all know when it comes to the other three though you know we're looking at a guy like elias Pettersson, who seems to have boundless sort of potential but we're also talking about a player who scored zero, zero even strength goals in the latter 20 games of the season. A guy who won Rookie of the Year but was disappointed by his performance in the season. And I think that speaks volumes about his motivation, about his competitiveness. I think when you look at his game and, and what he can bring and even that defensive awareness, he may not have the strength or the build yet to really you know, control games down low the way he may be able to, but in terms of his stick, in terms of the way he back checks, in terms of the way he thinks of this game, I mean, watching him work on being a more consistent player, whether it results in more points or whether it just results in a more well-rounded game, I think the getting to track that development, his evolution, 
uh, the evolution of a high-end hockey brand. I mean, what a great thing for fans to be able to see. What a great thing to be able to cover as a journalist. Uh, when I look at Brock Besser and I look at his shot rate on the power play, I mean, you, you look at a guy who's already got a top 10 shot rate uh, at five on four. That tends to presage. Um, you know, a, a guy I always talk about is Cam Atkinson, who always rated really well by that metric, but didn't sort of break out until he did. And Brock Besser's never hasn't scored 30 goals yet as a as a Canuck. If he stays healthy this season, I think that's a for, surefire me, uh, thing he will hit, especially with more puck-moving talent along the blue line, and especially with Elias Pettersson, uh, you know, being an, another year older. And, and that's a big reason why I thought Brock Besser was smart to bet on himself, is he's going to get plumb opportunities on the power play here. He's going to play with a center like Pettersson. I mean, what a great spot to be in if you're on a short-term deal and looking to sort of maximize your earning potential. Finally, we get to Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes, 19 years old, turns 20 later this month you know, going to play a huge role. It doesn't look like he's going to be on the first power play unit as we look at the first power play unit practice. Uh, we've got Edler up top. He just switched with Brock Besser, but, you know, he's still going to play a major role on the power play. We saw with Brock that Travis doesn't like to gift his young players first unit power play time. I, I suspect we'll still see a lot of Quinn Hughes with this group. In terms of what he did as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old defenseman last season, in terms of his scoring rate at college, in terms of what he did at tournaments at the World Juniors, in terms of what he did in his five-game cup of coffee with the Canucks last season, we're talking about a defenseman who's produced at a basically unprecedented rate in his draft plus one season. You know, you know there's obviously another great defenseman in his draft class in, in Rasmus Dahlin, but in Pedersen and Hughes, the Canucks may have gotten two of the best players in consecutive drafts. When teams do that, they tend to have a pretty exciting subsequent decade. Watching those players learn, watching those players develop, seeing what they can be. Uh, it's not a guarantee that they'll be elite pieces by any means. There's a lot of road to run here, but tracking it, following it, I think that's going to be great fun for the fans, and it's going to be great, uh, great storytelling opportunity for the journalists covering this team and for the podcasters perhaps uh, flapping their gums about it. Uh, speaking of, you're right back to gum again, but flag on the play. <laughs> uh, flag on the play because I think I caught you doing play-by-play -play of a Canuck power play drill on the podcast. Uh, that will not happen as we move forward, I assure you of that. But we do have access here as we watch the Canucks skate uh, in front of us. Now, speaking of access, you had some pretty good stuff, uh, I thought, in terms of access, but also what you're able to glean from it and write about in The Athletic. You had access to Newell Brown. You've had a chance to talk to some of the assistant coaches. We don't always hear from them as the season moves along here, but uh, the mood a little different in preseason, and so uh, the Canucks were able to uh, make that happen and facilitate that for you. What did you take away from your chat with Newell Brown about the power play? Well, the thing that's interesting to me about the power play right now is the balance of the power play. They are really looking at sort of strengthening that second unit. Travis has made it a talking point. He made it a talking point during the summer. And traditionally, that's not how Newell Brown's operated. Newell Brown's tended to be the guy who, you know, decides that Kessler shouldn't be playing with Raymond and Samuelson, but instead should be net front with the Sedin twins. Uh, you know, when I talked to him for the book I wrote with Mike Halford a few years ago, he really sort of went in on having your five best players out, um, sometimes regardless of position, regardless of shot, is, is your best approach. And this year, he's really prioritizing handedness. He's really prioritizing balance. He's got a second unit that has two defensemen on it. It's kind of a throwback look on the power play and almost doesn't feel like um, 
like a, a classic Newell Brown power play. Now we'll see how long these sort of looks last. Obviously, if the Canucks power play is not producing goals, they're not going to stick with it. They're going to tweak things. Uh, one one of the things, one of the main things I took away though from what Newell said was, you know, he bemoaned having 27 changes to his top power play unit, and I thought that was maybe the most revealing comment he made. I asked him about the power play taking maybe too many point shots a year ago, and he said, I can't even look at that. We had no continuity. So while I do think the Canucks will adjust uh, their first unit, I think, you know, in, especially with a guy like Josh Levo at the bumper, traditionally not a guy who's produced a ton on the power play, while I suspect they'll be flexible in the event that you know, things don't click off the hop. I also do think that there's going to be a desire to have some continuity, the type of continuity they didn't have. And, you know, that's something that I think they'll prioritize and, and that might sort of shape questions like when the campaign to get Hughes on PP1 finally is successful. Because we thought it was in preseason. We thought we were there. Uh, we're still watching Edler on the power play. No play-by-play -play here. But still happening. It's going to happen in game one. Fans can look for that. And I don't know what, uh, I guess we're going to have to bring the pressure on Twitter and, and bring the mob to bear in the army uh, because, you know, Quinn Hughes on PP1, I mean, that seems like something that shouldn't be just true for the Canucks this week, but maybe for the next five to ten years. We know that there's hunger for Canuck content. We're here to provide it for you on the Canucks cast all season long. Something that's a little different, though. I know people are used to an hour-long chat on the podcast. Again, this isn't the podcast, and so we are turning a page. We're going to deliver two a week, so uh, they're going to be shorter in runtime, but you'll still get your full content, the allotted content, over the course of a week. So as we wrap things up on this first installment, and we just kind of wanted to lay the foundation of who we are, our relationship, our background, our working relationship, all that kind of stuff, and then, you know, we got a little bit into the hockey team, and we certainly will. Our next one will come from the road because we're both heading out here on this road trip. And, in fact, when I say road trip, uh, it truly is a road trip this time around because uh, you're bringing harm. So uh, harm's going to get introduced to life on the road. And I think Patrick is going to somehow shoehorn his way in. We're carpooling from Edmonton to Calgary. And people may have heard by now, the Canucks aren't coming home after the Edmonton game. They're staying in Alberta. They're going to set up shop in Banff for a couple of days, which is something a little different. Travis Green hasn't done, you know, one of these sort of uh, team bonding sessions out on the road you know, they've had days off on the road uh, in their road trips, but this is a little different. So they're going to fly from Edmonton to Calgary right after the game and then bus out to Banff, set up shop there for a couple days. They're going to skate in Banff on Friday, and we'll be there as well, and we'll document everything that happens along the way. But uh, the road trip from Edmonton to Calgary should just be some fun, hitting Highway 2 and heading south. I think I, I'll be the guy at the wheel, but I will need some navigation. Not so much navigational help. I mean, you point the car south and, and you go. But uh, somebody will have to control the climate and the you know the tunes and all those types of things. So we'll have some fun and we'll have some stories to tell, I'm sure, from that first road trip as uh, we work our way here as well. I uh, want to finish off with two things, though, to answer. One is the question that has been asked about this team for a long, long time. Yes or no question. Is this a playoff team? I don't think so. I think they could improve enormously. I think they could... You add nine points to this team, and they're a 90-point team. I mean, I think that would represent a significant step forward. There's not a lot of teams that improve by nine-plus points uh, year over year. The Canucks have had a lot of turnover. I think they'll be one of the most improved teams in the NHL this season, and I still don't think it'll be enough. I still think 90 points isn't going to get it done 
in the Pacific Division, you know, there are some question marks around some of those other teams, but with Vegas, San Jose, Calgary, sort of likely to soak up the three Pacific Division slots and the Central, you know, still a very strong division despite what's happened to the Winnipeg Jets in recent months. You know, I do think that the Canucks will struggle to make the playoffs. I'd, I'd peg them for something like 88, 90 points, uh, a significant step forward, but not uh, playoff berth. Uh, and, you know, whether or not that's good enough, considering the money spent, considering the treasure invested over the summer, I think that'll be sort of one of the most interesting stories to track in the second half in the event that my projection for this club turns out to be true. I set the bar at 87.5, put that out on Twitter on a poll. 55% took the over. I would vote on the under for a lot of the same reasons you said. I think you can show improvement. I think this team can be better. I think goaltending, like most teams, it's a, a wild card. And, you know, I want to believe that Jacob Markstrom sort of established a, a new benchmark for himself and can pick up, but he's got to prove that. And, you know, Thatcher Demko with 10 games of NHL experience is still untested, even though he showed some flashes. So, you know, we'll see where goaltending takes this hockey club. And, again, we'll be there every step of the way to document it. Uh, finally, for all the work that we do all season long, covering the games, covering the practices, traveling, I'm not sure that you or me will do anything more significant than what was rolled out last Thursday, and that, of course, uh, the Botchford Project. And a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of credit to the Vancouver Canucks PR department. You know, they sort of had the idea, we came on board, uh, we're asked to be on board to just refine it and bring our own input and... Uh, I know I couldn't have been any happier or any prouder with the rollout and the reaction last week. And, man, I'm counting down the days already. November 16th, I believe, will be the first day that we see one of the chosen ones in the press box here at the morning skate, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm just so excited to see how the Botchford Project unfolds throughout the season. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, personally, I received a lot of help on my way up, uh, more from Jason than from anyone else. And to be able to pay that legacy forward and, and honor him uh, in this manner just feels so fitting. Talking to John Lott and, and seeing his reaction and his piece on The Athletic today, uh, a heart-wrenching read. Um, but I'm so proud that The Athletic could sponsor it. I'm so proud that The Athletic you know, stepped up to the plate to be involved in it. Uh, I'm so impressed by how the Canucks really captured you know, something that was essential about Jason. The way that he mentored people, the way that he shared his knowledge and shared his stage, shared his shine, right? Really promoted people's work. And, you know, I was thinking about my first assignment covering this team, the Vancouver Canucks, for Sportsnet. I went to New York. Jason not only chauffeured me out to Long Island, but when it was done, this TSN Vancouver Province employee retweeted the piece that I, I'd written talking to Cassian and Verbata and Burroughs about playing with the Sedins. And, you know, helped me as I went, helped me make asks, helped introduce me to Canucks PR staff, who at the time I hadn't worked with, and then even shared a rival's piece of content. And I just think, I was thinking about that the other day as this project launched, and just how above and beyond that is. And I'm so excited that we'll get an opportunity to try to pay that forward, to live up to that. Um, you know, just a fabulous project. I uh, can't wait to get started. Yeah, and the rollout on Thursday, I had a chance on Friday to sit down with Catherine for an hour, just a, a visit to catch up and, you know, sort of talk about her role in all of this. And, you know, she's so grateful and really looking forward to it and I think is intending to be here at the rink on that first night just to take it to a whole nother level. So uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, congrats to, to you on your efforts and the hockey club and, 
Hey, we're just getting started here with the next cast. The season is about to get underway. It's going to be a ton of fun, and hopefully you're there for us twice a week. We're looking forward to pumping out the content all season long right here on The Athletic.